Welcome back to the Keeping It Covered podcast here on 89.1 The Point. Sports Director Ben Bleakley here, and I'm joined by a familiar voice if you are a Buffalo Bills fan. He is the sideline reporter for the Buffalo Bills Radio Network and a beat reporter for WGR, Sal Capaccio. Sal, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for taking the time to talk with me about your career so far. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. So, Sal, first I wanted to talk about your upbringing. You grew up in the Buffalo area and were a part of what I like to call the heydays of Buffalo professional sports. What was it like growing up as a Bills and Sabres fan during those four Super Bowls and Sabres playoff appearances? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, when I was uh, a real little kid, my formative years, um, the Bills weren't very good. They actually had won two games a year in back-to-back years, 84-85, uh, two and 14, two and 14. They got the number one pick, Bruce Smith, and then they had the rights to Jim Kelly. He was playing the USFL. Um, Ralph Wilson, the owner, was considered cheap, all that kind of stuff. In the meantime, the Sabres had just come out of having a, a really nice run, and they were basically bouncing from the playoffs pretty early on. But then suddenly, everything kind of changed all at once. Um, it was pretty amazing because that was right during my high school years, which is really a cool time to be a part of that. And um, the Bills, you know, they get USFL folds. They get Jim Kelly. You know, they have this great draft where the guys start really like Andre Reid, Bruce Smith, Daryl Talley. Everybody starts coming in. They draft Thurman in 88. And then, you know, into college, you know, they start going to Super Bowls. And it was pretty amazing because, you know, I got to enjoy that. And then I get to enjoy LaFontaine and McGillney and how high-scoring games and Sabres at that time when you're in your, you know, early 20s, which is a super cool time for sports. So, yeah, it, you know, you, and at the time you think it's going to last forever. You really do. But, of course, it doesn't. And, you know, that was the, the thing that maybe the drop-off after that was kind of shocking because, you know, you're in this time period, you don't realize – how good you have it until it's gone. I think that's the biggest takeaway. You don't realize how great it is because suddenly, boom, you know, it's just not there anymore. And you don't have those great Hall of Fame players. The 90s were great for the Bills up through the 90s. The Sabres didn't last long with that period, you know, and then they got good again. But it was really awesome. It's, it's a good question because, you know, I think about that sometimes and how cool that time period was, but also how quickly it went. So after graduating high school, you decided to attend Syracuse University. Um, I already talked with Jenna Cottrell from 13 Women Roster, season alum from Syracuse as well, and she's decided to choose Syracuse over UConn. Was Syracuse your first choice? And if so, why did you decide to become a member of the Orange? Yeah, so it was always my first choice. Uh, I wanted to go to Syracuse the minute I learned that many of the great sports casters went to Syracuse. I had no idea. You know, when you're growing up, you don't always really think about stuff like that. Then someone pointed it out to me. And I'm like, yeah, there's no way I can go to Syracuse. I couldn't afford that. Um, you know, but you, you, you find a way if that's the case. And, you know, I, I wanted to go to Syracuse. It was always my first choice. I'd applied at other schools. Um, I had applied at the universe uh, at uh, Buff State. I was going to go there if I didn't go to Syracuse. Very good program to, for, uh, you know, sports journalism or broadcasting, whatever. Uh, Fredonia. I think some other big schools like University of Miami. There were other schools around the country. But I always wanted to go to Syracuse. It was always my first choice. And I'm really glad that I was able to, but it was, listen, I thought it was expensive then. It is, it's in the, it's catastrophically expensive now, I guess. It's incredible. I don't know, like my son, he would love to go to Syracuse. And I'm like, yeah, you better get a lacrosse scholarship. Not, right. I can't pay for that. <laughs> was it, so you obviously said that it's a lot more expensive now. How, how different was it for the application process um, from then? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I couldn't tell you because I haven't gone. My son is only six, so that's why right. I was joking. But you know what I mean? So I don't know. I, honestly, I, I really don't know. I, I do know this. Um, I used to listen to and call a sports radio host in Buffalo named Art Wander a long time ago. 
some of your listeners might know who he is. He's, um, they call him the tiny Todd of the kilowatt. He was really funny. Artie baby boo boo. He had a couple different nicknames. And I used to, I knew that I, I knew I was a little different than my friends when I would actually spend time listening to sports talk radio instead of like, you know, music on the radio sometimes. And I, I would call in and I became like a regular caller. I was in 10th, 11th grade. And then one day I, I called him and I said, Hey, I want to go to Syracuse to do what you do. Would you write me a letter of recommendation? He did. And that was kind of cool to have, you know, someone, I don't know if it mattered or anything. You know, I had a few people write me letters, but you know, I just always remember that, you know, it's always, it's always good to have people help you out and have your back. So I'm really not sure what it's like today. I just know that I believe last I heard it's over 70,000 a year. It was over. It was, that's incredible. I mean, how do how do people pay any education for that? It was like 20 grand a year when I went and that was still a lot of money. So being on this campus of Syracuse, you were a member of Z89 or 89.1 FM, which is the same here um, in Brockport for 89.1 The Point. Eventually, you worked your way up to sports director for Z89. What were some of the things you remember from your days working at the radio station in Syracuse? Um, you know, so Z89 was always a, it's a music station, but with a sports department, you know, so that was kind of funny that like, we were the sports guys or the sports girls even, you know, obviously we had guys and girls in the department, but it was really a music station is what it was. But we did. We had Syracuse Orange women basketball play-by-play we did. I never really got involved with that, but I, I kind of regret it. I wish I did a little bit more with that. Um, but we, it was fun because we had our own sports talk show, Sports Line 89, they called it. So we did that. Um, but it was never – it was kind of like a little bit – not made fun of, but in a, in a fun way made fun of all oh, the sports department because it was a bunch of music people. And I'll tell you, that was a great experience for me to, to really learn a different side of radio, um, to be around the music people, to be around the sales department. You know, all the, I, I learned so much about radio from being at Z89, not from being on the radio, but, but from being around it, from being near people and around people who had so many different jobs and functions. And yeah, as a sports director, there wasn't a big department. It was just kind of, you know, you, there was certain shows you would have to make sure you're staffed or whatever. Um, you know, if, if something big happened, make sure that there's, uh, they talk about it a little bit, even like, like the DJ on the sports, if somebody got an injury or, you know, there's a big recruit or something like that, those kinds of things happen. But I learned so much from radio from being at Z89 and it really was the greatest classroom that I could have. Now I got to ask, cause I asked Jenna this too. Did you have any interactions with Jim Beheim? And if you did, were they positive or negative? <laughs> Maybe once or twice just from going to a press conference or two. Um, when I was at Syracuse, actually, they got, they got suspended and banned from the tournament for a year back in the early 90s. This is before the sanctions that, you know, had, they had several years ago. Um, this is in the 90s. And they got put on probation and they, could, they missed the tournament. I remember going to that press conference. And um, I think I asked Jim Beheim a question. But that was about it. I think I asked him about how it's going to affect recruiting. I really didn't have any one-on-ones. Coach Pasqualoni, the uh, – football coach he was the coach when I was there Paul Pasqualoni I probably talked with him a little bit more um, but not a lot of interactions but <laughs> I understand when people say that uh, the interactions I did have an interaction with him in Buffalo that was not very positive actually when they played against Dayton in the NCAA tournament a few years ago and they lost um, I went to the press conference afterwards and I asked a question he got mad at me and he gave me a stern look so but that's just Jim Beheim and you know, that's what happens when you ask him a question. He gets mad at everybody. 100%. So after graduating from Syracuse class in 95, you moved to Inglewood, Florida, and you worked in sales for a small radio station, WNG. And you were also a play-by-play broadcaster for high school football and Little League baseball. Especially coming from a big and prestigious college such as Syracuse, did you feel rejected that you did not receive that dream job right out of college? 
Oh, no. I mean, look, <laughs> it was – I felt like big man. Like, I, I, my chest was out because nobody I knew was getting a job offer anywhere. I did, you know. And the only reason I even got a job offer is because it's W-E-N-G. That's the name of the station. The, the, the reason why I got a job offer was because – I knew, I knew the person running the station, basically. He was a friend of my cousin. Uh, I'm sorry, he was cousins of my friend. And um, he said, hey, why don't you contact my cousin? He, he runs this little radio station in Florida. So I did. And he's like, hey, if you want to come down, um, we'll give you some on-air opportunities, but you got to do sales. I'm like, all right, like that's a job. It's in radio and I can sell. I didn't realize how much I would hate selling, to be honest with you, but I did it. But no, not at all. I, I think, you know, of course, you always think when you're going into the business, you're going to get hired right, you, right away. You think, oh, I'm going to be on ESPN or I'm going to be in a studio at CBS or whatever. But I think when reality sets in and you're doing that job hunting, you, you realize that it's, it's hard and you got to take something. You got to take anything that comes along your way. And honestly, there's very little that comes your way. So I felt really good that I had a full-time job offer making peanuts, but still being able to be on the radio and, and do that. So you've had a passion for sports. You coached Little League Baseball and Pop Warner Football, and you also landed a job as head JV football coach and head varsity girls track coach at Lemon Bay High School in Florida. You also taught social studies and special education. So how important was it for you to stay involved in sports knowing that it was a passion of yours? Well, it was really important, but you have to remember and you have to think, um, I mean, I left the business. I was not in radio for 10 years. I was a teacher and a coach. That's what I did. I decided to switch my career because of what you said earlier, which is now, you know, once you're in the business a few years and things aren't going your way and you're not getting all these job offers and, you know, I'm, I'm working at this small station and now I'm thinking, okay, I need to move up. I need to move up. I need to move out. And those things aren't happening and it's very hard. And then I started coaching. Look, when I was in high school here in Buffalo, Cleveland Hill, I was a good athlete. I was a three sport athlete. I was a football Connolly cup nominee. I was all ECIC football and baseball. I love sports. It was always a part of my life. Um, I did a little coaching even in high school with some little league here. So I, I decided I was living in a small town that didn't have much going on. So I coached be partly because I was, it was to pass the time, partly because I was interested in it and wanted to kind of help out and be part of the community. And, you know, I, I had a passion for it, but after coaching a little bit, I decided, you know what, I think I like this. And I think I want to be a high school football coach. I, um, I went, went to the university of South Florida, got certified to teach became a teacher at social studies, special ed, like you said, coached varsity football, JV football, baseball, track, everything. And then for 10 years, that's what I did. And I did radio here and there on the side. So I guess to answer your question, it was important to always stay involved in sports, but for 10 years, my career was completely different. It was going a different direction until I decided to go back into it. In 2009, a lot of things came out with Buffalo with the infamous Terrell Owens signing, um, one year, six and a half million. And you have a special connection to that story. So tell the listeners about the infamous T.O. story and how it helped you earn the reputation as a knowledgeable and trustworthy voice. Well, what happened was Terrell Owens gets released. Um, where was he at the time? Um, Eagles, uh, Cowboys, whatever it was at the time. I don't remember. And the Bills, it was March of 09, and I, I'm coaching track. I have a big track meet on a Friday night. I get a phone call from somebody that I know and trust who says, the honest, the words are, guess who's coming to dinner? And I said, what? And this person told me that the Bills were going to host Terrell Owens on a free agent visit. And I'm like, come on. And they're like, no. And I think T.O. 
and Drew Rosenhaus, by the way, is his representative at the time. And Drew Rosenhaus had a good relationship with the Bills. He actually had several clients, including Willis McGahee, who had you know, gone to Buffalo. And the person told me, I'm pretty sure, they were sure that T.O. was very interested and Drew Rosenhaus was interested in coming to Buffalo as much as the Bills were. And I'm like, no way. So I had this information, but here I am down in Florida. I'm doing a little podcasting, video casting, way before it was ever even cool. I was getting made fun of for doing stuff like that at the time, you know? Um, and I'm like, okay, so I have a choice now. I can either put this information out there, and if I'm right, I am, wow, look at me. But if I'm wrong, I might never recover. I mean, I would, people would make fun of me and say, ha this is just an idiot throwing stuff against the wall. Or if I don't put the information out there and it happens, I totally blew my opportunity. Well, you got to shoot your shot, man. So I did it, you know, and I, I, I really trusted what the person was telling me because I trusted the person. And I wrote a story on a little website I had and I said, Bills are interested in Terrell Owens. And people said, ha ha, you're an idiot. They would never do that. Um, it gets picked up by pro football talk, uh, Mike Florio at NBC. And he said, yep, this is true. And he credited me and said, it first came from Sal Capaccio, this guy down in Florida. Suddenly I hear that it's starting to be true. I get calls from Buffalo. Vic Carucci was doing his uh, serious radio show on Saturday morning starts talking about it. I called in, went on the air with Vic, talked about it, had this name out there. And suddenly everybody thinks that I know everything about everything the bills are going to do, which wasn't true, but I knew somebody who told me some information and it was a big piece of information and it turned out to be true. And I'm forever credited with breaking the TO to Buffalo news. So after the Trello and story, you moved back to Western New York with your wife, Jana, and you end up becoming part of WGR where you are now. Would you say that it was destiny that brought you back to Buffalo or was it fate? I don't know. Are those two things different? Aren't they the same? Are there no? I don't yeah, know. I mean, <laughs> I, I guess you could say, but, but basically it was kind of the, with the T.O. story, it was kind of like, well, yeah, I, I, yeah you don't know. Look, it, look, it, look, it, here's, I would say it's, it's neither. It's, it's really me wanting to come back to Buffalo and it's hard work and it's taking a risk. I don't know if destiny or fate or anything like that ever brought me back here. I think it's just a, a kid that grew up here, wanted to be here, loved this place. Um, fortunately, married a wife. Her name, you pronounce it Yana, by the way. It is spelled Jana, though. It's okay. Luckily, married someone who, my wife is from Germany, actually. She, we came to Buffalo on vacation one year. She ran the Buffalo Half Marathon, and she really liked the city by running the Half Marathon. She said, I could live here, and I wouldn't mind if you ever wanted to move up here, and that gave me the opportunity. And look, I mean, it was a tough call. Uh, I, I wasn't, I didn't have a full-time job offer in Buffalo at WGR. I was basically told if you want to move here, you can work, but you're going to have to start over in radio at the bottom. And I had to leave a good teaching job and coaching job. My wife left a good job for me to start over in radio in Buffalo in, in my mid thirties, 37 years old I was, but I did it and we dropped everything and I moved up here and took major pay cuts to do it, started over, but so to me, it wasn't about fate or destiny. It was really making a, a conscious decision that was turned out to be a really, really great decision, actually, in the end. Now, this is kind of an off-topic question, but did you, uh, did you end up missing all the warm weather down in Florida to come back up here for the cold uh, weather up in here in Western I New York? still miss it, man. I still <laughs> miss it. Look, it's okay, though. I, I became a golfer like down there. In fact, we're doing this interview right now. I'm on my way to play golf. I don't get a chance to play as much in Buffalo, obviously. Uh, you know, in during the months when it gets colder, but I think that's what I miss the most. There are some times in Florida I do not miss the heat at all. It was way too hot. 
football practice was just brutal, obviously, out there. So there's things I miss about Florida, but I, I, could, I, don't know, I couldn't live there right now. Maybe someday when I'm older, retired, I don't know. You know, Buffalo suits me well. Um, I mean, I have family down there still. My mom and my stepdad, they actually moved there when I lived there. And then they moved away for a little while. Then they went back down there. Um, my my mother-in-law still lives there. So we enjoy going down. We have friends and family. I still own a house down there. We rent it out. I do miss some things about it, but I don't, uh, I don't sit here going, oh, my God, I wish I was in Florida every time it snows in Buffalo. Flash forward to 2014, and you officially become the Bills sideline reporter and work alongside another Syracuse alum in John Murphy. What is it like to be a reporter for the team that you grew up cheering on, and how hard is it to leave your fan side at the door when you walk into Bills Stadium on Sundays? So working with the people I work with is amazing. I used to listen to Murph with Van Miller when I was at Syracuse taking a Greyhound bus back to Bills, back to the stadium for Bills home games. And I used to say to myself, oh, it'd be awesome to be doing what he's doing or, you know, even on TV in Buffalo. Now I do it. And what is it like? Look at this is a true story. Every single game. Every game I've ever been on the sidelines for during the national anthem, I stand there and I look around and I say, I can't believe I'm in the NFL. Like, it's amazing. Like just to think about that, there's like 32 of these jobs in the world, less than that. Cause not every team has a radio sideline reporter. And I'm like super fortunate that I get to do that. So it's pretty amazing to be able to work with the people I work with and Murph and now Tasker and Eric Wood and Mark Kelso for, for years who I was with the people we have, Todd Brody, Greg, uh, Greg Harvey and Todd Brody, who, you know, run the broadcast. It's just amazing. And then um, on top of that, as far as the fandom and stuff, look, I grew up in Buffalo. I'm a Buffalo sports fan. It, it, to be able to cover, I could be anywhere doing this. Sure. Like if I was in Tampa with the Bucks, or if I was, you know, somewhere in Vegas or LA, you know, covering those teams, Charlotte, North Carolina, it'd be incredible. It'd be amazing. It's of course more special in Buffalo. This is the team that I grew up watching and rooting for. And the, the, better, the best part is, though, for outside of being on the sidelines, for my job, it's way easier and better because I know so much about the organization. I can tell people about the history of this team. I can remember things that happened in the 80s and the 90s. You know, if I was in another team, I wouldn't be able to do that as well. I have to do a lot more research. Now, for me, it just comes natural. I can explain to people a lot of, you know, links to history and what it was like when Thurman Thomas played that's something special you can do in this job. I think that's an advantage of being in a city you grew up in when you're covering news or sports or anything where you can talk about the geography of the city, the history of the city, the sports history, the politics, whatever it is, the stadiums, you could talk about all that kind of stuff so much easier. And that's what I can do. But I, I have to be objective. Of course I do. It's part of my job. That's what we are taught, but make no mistake. I will never ever apologize for saying I want Buffalo sports to win. Because I want this city to experience a championship. I grew up here, man. It's part of my blood. So, you know, I am always going to be a Buffalo sports fan because I want Buffalo to succeed no matter what sport that is. You mentioned that your father passed away when you were 19 and that you learned that nothing was given to you. And, you know, I'm kind of in that same situation. I lost my father when I was 10 years old. So how often do you think about what your father taught you on your journey to become that respected member of the Buffalo media? You know, I think about my dad sometimes when um, when cool things happen. I'm like, you know, I wonder what he would think about that or something like that. You know, it's been a long time. I mean, it's been 30 years since my dad passed away. You know, it's just a long time now and close to it. I'm 47 years old now. You know, I've thought about it more over the last six years since I've had my son. And 
I've, you know, told my son about my father. And the reason I say that my dad taught me nothing's ever given to you is my dad, I'm a first generation Italian immigrant. My dad came right from Italy, right from the boat, you know, and he didn't even graduate high school. My dad actually had to change his birth certificate so he could start working uh, when he was 15, 16 years old, whatever it was. So like, legally, he died of a heart attack legally at um, 49. He was actually only 48 because his birth certificate said he was born a year before he was. My dad went into Vietnam. He fought in the Vietnam War for this country. Um, as you know, he, and he came back. And I believe, I believe, probably some of the things he experienced there contributed to his health. You know, later in life when he passed away, um, he wasn't in good shape. And you know, my dad also. My dad, he was not perfect. Uh, he had a gambling problem. Um, it contributed to my parents getting divorced when I was younger. It also contributed to him losing jobs us going on welfare and food stamps. Like I did not grow up in any sort of privilege whatsoever, uh, socially, financially, things like that. Um, I grew up having to, you know, really kind of grind and work for everything I had because of my dad and the situation we were in and some of the things that happened. So I think that's where I say, you know, nothing's ever given to me. Now it could have been made easier if he had made better decisions, there's no doubt, but still my dad, I still love him and, you know, he was a great, great man, a great person. And, you know, he taught me a lot about building relationships and respecting people. One thing about my dad, he was a singer too. He had the gift of gab. He was an entertainer. He loved being on stage. And I think I get all of that from him, you know? In talking with the Syracuse Alumni Association, you say that Z89 was the best radio classroom you could have ever imagined. How much do you credit your radio success to Z89 and Syracuse University? Yeah, like I said, I'll go back to what I said earlier about that. It was the greatest uh, classroom because I got to interact with all these different kinds of people, all different walks of life, music, sports, sales, all that kind of stuff. When you go into this field, people think you get a, you get a piece of paper from a college like Syracuse or Buff State or wherever it is. You go into this particular field, Northwestern, Missouri, some of the greatest journalism schools in the country, People think that, oh, I'm just going to go, I'm going to get a journalism degree or a broadcasting degree and I'm going to be set. No, no, no. Let me give you some advice. It's not about that at all. It's about your experiences. Your resume in this particular field is how you sound and talk and what you could put on video, what you can put on tape. Your resume is not getting a 4.0 grade point average. That looks really shiny and nice. No one cares about it if you can't sit in front of a camera and talk. You know, I mean, that that's what matters in this business. And Z89 gave me that opportunity. Z89 being college radio gave me the chance to have real life experience. I knew a lot of people who did not get involved in the Syracuse University radio or TV experience. They just went to Syracuse to be in broadcasting and they are no longer in broadcasting for many different reasons. But one of them is they never got the experience they needed when they got into the field. So I want to go back to some Syracuse fandom. 2003 magical year for Syracuse men's basketball. Carmelo and McNamara helped win Syracuse's only men's basketball championship so far. I remember sitting and watching the game with my cousin with seven and a half inches of snow on the ground in Rochester. So where were you when Syracuse won the championship and how cool was it to see Syracuse finally get it done on the big stage? I was there. I was in the New Orleans Superdome. Oh. I was at the game. Wow. So it's an amazing story. I've told it on the radio before. I'll tell you the story. Um, I got married in March of 03 to my wife. We were still in Florida. Syracuse goes to the final four a month later in April of 03. Um, 
my buddy, he goes to the, he goes to the Final Four. He's not a Syracuse fan. He just happened to have tickets through a random lottery. He calls me on Saturday night, Sunday morning, actually, it was after Syracuse beats Texas. I'm in Florida. He says, all the Texas people are dumping their tickets. If you fly here tonight to New Orleans, you're going to get a really good seat. You're going to get a good ticket. You can do this. Wow. I'm like, hmm, I don't know. Call my wife. I've been married a month. Hey, uh, I got this chance to go to New Orleans and go to the Final Four. I got to go to the championship game tomorrow night. I probably have to pay about 220, 230 bucks for the ticket for the flight. And then probably another 200 or so for the ticket. She's like, all right, you know, that's what we wanted. We didn't have any kids. We're sitting in Florida, whatever. So I do, I jump on Southwest airlines on Sunday. I get there Sunday. I just book the book it. Like literally at Sunday morning, I'm getting on a plane Sunday night. I fly to new Orleans. I get there. I get a ticket 40 rows up somewhere around mid court for 220 bucks. I, the guy wanted 250. I bargained him down to 220. Wow. <laughs> so between the airfare and the flight, I'm now paid about close to 500 bucks. I go to Harris Casino and I win close to 500 playing craps. Make up everything. Boom, right there. As soon as I got there. I'm like, now I'm like, oh my God, now I'm here for free. This is amazing. I go to the Syracuse University Hotel where Mike Tirico was giving the, um, the speech. Like he's like the, the, you know, hey, you know, it was incredible. Like the free game speech. It was all Syracuse people everywhere. I go to the game. They win. This is before smartphones and camera phones. I have a disposable camera. I asked somebody to take a picture of me with the scoreboard behind me. I got tears in my eyes. I'm literally crying, right? I got tears in my eyes. Syracuse just won. I'm a Bills fan, Sabres fan. They never won anything. How they, so they take a picture of me. I got the tears in my eyes. I go down to, back to the hotel. People, it, was like, it was crazy how many people were there. It was incredible. I see Mike Hopkins. I'd gone to school with him, congratulated him, whatever, Syracuse assistant coach now at the University of Washington. All of a sudden, that the team comes back. It is crazy. They're like rock stars, right? Well, they're getting swamped, so they, they kind of go to, up to their rooms. Well, then I look, and I see, out of the corner of my eye, I see Carmelo, Josh Pace, and Hakeem Warwick come down off the elevator, and they, they kind of wanted to sneak away from the crowd. They didn't want the, to be in the crowd. Right. I'm like, oh, my God, there they are. What are they doing? So I kind of ran down to where they were, and I walked down to Bourbon Street with these guys. <laughs> and people think I'm, like, part of the team or something. So I go partying. Now, again, remember, these guys were 18, 19 at the time. They were freshmen and sophomores, right? So they can't even legally drink. So we go. We're down on Bourbon Street. Suddenly, here comes Dwayne Wade. Because remember, Marquette was in the Final Four, and they're hanging out right. with them. I'm hanging out with Mello and Wade. We're going into these bars, these places. Everybody's like uh, – these, they would go in. Somebody would come up to them, and they'd take these guys, all the players. They'd take them off to the side. They'd take them upstairs. And, you know, I'm not part, I'm not part of it. I'm not a player. So I'm sitting there and I'm partying with everybody now and I'm taking pictures. I'm drinking. I'm having a good time. I'm taking pictures that like, if you've never been in new Orleans on a final four weekend, mm -hmm. you can imagine some of the pictures I was taking of what was going on there. It was pretty crazy. They say Vegas is sin city. It is not it is new Orleans. So I get home the next day, take the flight back home. Two days later, my wife develops the pictures and gets them. Oh, I'd been married a month. She's flipping through the pictures. I mean, there's things on there that I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe that. What did I take a picture of? What is going on? There's people doing body shots naked on bars, tops, all that kind of stuff, right? People yeah. in cages dancing. It was just the weirdest thing. So she suddenly stops and gives me this look, like this stare. And I'm like, oh, my God, what is wrong? And she says, 
you didn't even cry at our wedding and you cried at Syracuse winning. That's all she cared about. <laughs> it didn't matter. Nothing else. Nothing else mattered. It was so funny because I'm like, all right, that's all she, and then she said to me, she goes, she always tells me from that day on, she knew that she came second to Syracuse basketball, which is not true, obviously, but isn't that funny? Like, that's a great story. And it's, and it's also funny you mentioned that it only cost $500 for, you know, the ticket and everything, and you won it back playing craps. Nowadays, I won it back playing <laughs> craps. Unbelievable. It was pretty and, crazy. And nowadays, you can't even, for $500, you'd be lucky to get a nosebleed seat at the final four. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It was, it was pretty crazy. So shifting from a national championship in 2003 with Syracuse to a potential championship for the Buffalo Bills, hopefully in 2020, um, I want to get your thoughts on the Bills. A lot of people are saying that this is the best Bills team since that 90s team that went to four straight Super Bowls. What do you think about this statement, and how far do you think the Bills can go since they've only been through two weeks of the regular season so far? It's the best roster that I've seen since, it, I would say, 1999. The year the Bills had, they lost to the Titans on the, backward slash forward lateral, right? I mean, right. to me, it's the best roster since then. A lot of things matter in football. Injuries are a big deal, obviously. you got to survive injuries. We see what happened in the NFL last week. It's a, it's a league of attrition. Um, but I do think they have a roster that it has very good depth. Um, but you can't, you, you can't predict those kinds of things. I don't know if I'd go as far as to say they're the best. it's the best since the Super Bowl years. 95, they didn't go to the Super Bowl. They're still a good team. 96, Kelly's last year. Now, they still had good teams then. This team is really good, though. It's one. It's the best team since probably at least the playoff team of 99. And maybe maybe there's an argument. I think, look, I, I picked them to go to the AFC Championship game and lose to the Kansas City Chiefs. That's my pick. So, obviously, I think that they contend, contend for an AFC Championship, provided they stay healthy. So, I want to get your kind of, I guess you would say, opinion on this. How, how different has it been covering the team? Obviously, last week in Miami, nobody was allowed to travel to the game. And a lot of the, and a lot of the analysts, you know, were struggling because obviously the CBS um, stream cut out and you were really hyping on Twitter that, you know, radio was still going on. You guys can still tune into the game. So how difficult has it been not only on the radio side for you, but at least on the coverage side, knowing that you have to do a lot of Zoom meetings and you, you have to have a lot of pregame prep before you would go into a broadcast? Well, the day-to-day, -day, the beat reporter stuff, the Zoom meetings, yeah, it just really stinks not being able to be down there in the media room, not seeing people face-to-face, -face, you know, not being able to talk to Sean McDermott face-to-face, -face. That, that stuff, you know, but it's very organized. The Bills PR does a great job to help us out as best as possible. Um, I think fans actually like the Zoom meetings sometimes because you can hear all the questions clearly, you can hear the answers clearly, nobody's shouting over each other. That's cool. Um, but sometimes you don't also get as many questions answered because we have to raise our hands in the Zoom meeting. You don't want to take too much time from other people. It's you know, those kinds of things. So that's challenging. Obviously, I miss that part of it. I'm just going down to the facility, being able to do my work from the media room, stuff like that. Uh, as far as the games are concerned, if I could travel, I could, I'd have to stay in the hotel anyway. It's not like I could see these cities. I'm not upset about that in any way. It's just it is what it is. It's, it's the situation we're in. It does stink that this year, considering the cities we're scheduled to go to, that I can't go this year, right? San Francisco, mm -hmm. Vegas, Denver, Nashville, come on. But What's really saddened me this year is I can't be on the sidelines for these games. I love being on an NFL sideline. It's just, it's a great part of, you know, the experience for me, my job, but it's not because Sal Capaccio did anything. It's not because someone told me I can't go. It's, it's what we're all dealing with, you know, and we're all in the same boat. As far as calling the game and covering the game, 
Last Sunday was very challenging because it was the first time we ever did it like that uh, with, with the monitors via remote. We were watching different monitors. Murph had the call that way. And then we had the power outage. We lost, we lost our monitors for a couple minutes, but we actually came back on on one of them that gave Murph the call, which was great. And why I was telling people, we, we're still on. You can hear what we're doing here if you go and turn on the radio. Um, and then we had the delay. Now, look, that didn't matter as much because we do what we do. We talk in this business. You have a 30-minute right. delay, we'll just talk because that's what we do in radio. So it was challenging, but we got seven more of them. And I'll tell you, hopefully that's the worst that can happen this year because – we got through it all and, and we were fine. Sal, you've been so gracious with your time today. I appreciate it. I wanted to give you some time at the end here to talk about what's on tap for future weeks over at WGR in terms of the bills. Uh, well, look, every Monday I do my extra point show, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. So check it out. It's the best reaction show you'll find. It's really two hours of straight phone calls. I don't take guests. I don't do interviews. I just let people call and react and vent and ask questions. And that's my call. That's my show. That's my style. That's what I want. And I'm there for them. Um, other than that, I'm on every Monday, I'm on every Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday afternoon with Shopin' the Bulldog, and every Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday morning with Jeremy and Howard. I'm off on Tuesdays because it's Players' Day off. It's my one day off, so that's good. Um, but that's what's going on, and we got all your coverage for you, and everybody obviously can find me at Sal Sports on Twitter. And I got a new show that I just uh, debuted last week. It's online. It's called Sal Sports Live, and it's a live stream, and you can find it on Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube, whatever is your preferred method uh, 7.30 p.m. every Thursday night I do it. So that's going to do it here on episode four of the Keeping and Covered podcast. Sal, I appreciate your time. Hopefully we'll be cheering on at least the home Bills playoff win come January and uh, have some fun out there golfing today. Uh, get, get, a couple, uh, get a couple under par for me. I would love to do that. Uh, I don't know. I'm breaking in new clubs today. It's the first time I got fitted for clubs finally. So I have no idea what to expect with these new clubs. All right, Sal, I appreciate it. Um, have, have a great time with your, uh, with your golf game today and, uh, Again, like I said, hopefully uh, we'll have some fans in the uh, stands come January. No problem, buddy. Thank you. Appreciate it. If you'd like to listen to any 89.1 The Point production, head over to our SoundCloud page. Also, be sure to check out our website at 891thepoint.com, where we'll be posting a new episode of the podcast every Monday afternoon. So, Brasil Capaccio, I'm Ben Blakely from 89.1 The Point Sports Desk, saying be safe, wear a mask, and keep it covered.